Hello and welcome to the bunker. I'm Ros Taylor. Liz Truss is dead keen on it, and if your council agrees to it, they might even get a new GP surgery. But what on earth is fracking? Does it cause earthquakes? And would it really help to make us less dependent on Russian gas? With me to drill down into the subject is John Gluas, Dean of Knowledge Exchange at Durham University and a director of Durham Energy Institute. Welcome to the bunker, John. Thank you very much indeed. Pleased to be here. John, tell us, how do you frack? I mean, how deep do you have to go to reach these shale gas deposits and how hard is it to do? How deep you have to go, obviously, depends upon how deep the the shales are. And in the UK, typically, you would be dealing with depths in excess of about one and a half kilometres and maybe as deep as three kilometres. Is that deeper than a traditional coal mine, for example? Yes. Yeah, so, well, a traditional coal mine in the UK was limited to 1.2 kilometres. We have a number of oil wells in the UK. They're typically around about one and a half kilometres. And then very recently, we've seen the drilling of two wells in Cornwall, a little over five kilometres deep. So this is a technology that has been pioneered in America. Why has it been a success there? So the reason that the technology has been a success in America is several fold. First of all, you've got big, I mean, enormous areas where very few people live. And the way in which shale gas works is you've got to drill an awful lot of wells. A shale gas well may only deliver a hundredth or a thousandth the amount of gas that a conventional well would. And so you have to keep them. It's a factory. And that means a number of things. The geology has got to remain more or less identical over vast areas, thousands of square kilometers. And when you're in the continental interior, you know, in Texas or somewhere like that, that's what you get. We don't have that in the UK. And how is the gas forced out of the shale? What's the chemical, what's the process going on? The way in which uh, you can get gas out of these very low permeability rocks is to fracture them. And you'll imagine if you create a, a break in those rocks, any molecules of gas which are pretty close to that break will then be able to flow into the fracture uh, and therefore be extracted from the well. So the way in which it works is that at very high pressure, you pump a fluid down, which is mostly water, but it contains grains of sand or ceramic beads. Eventually, the rock will fracture if you pump it hard enough. The water is flowed back and the beads stay and hold the fracture open. So fracking's already been tried in Britain, in Lancashire, but the well was shut down. What happened there? So when the fracking was uh, tried near to Preston in Lancashire, the effect of injecting the fluid to cause the fracture had a response back from the earth, which was unexpected in that a little more energy came back than you put in. And the, the analogy for this is a bit like pushing a coin towards the edge of a table. Most of the time when you push the coin, nothing happens. But finally, when you push it over the edge, the coin drops to the floor and you get a bounce of the coin and a lot more energy. So basically what happened is that a natural fracture, of which there are many in the subsurface, moved a little bit when the fluid was injected. Over the course of the drilling of the well and testing, uh, the drilling and injection caused dozens of micro-seismic events and a few that were felt by local residents. In other words, small earthquakes. 
Yes, correct. And did those actually cause damage or was it merely a sign of what would happen if the well was drilled some more? We don't know that it's a sign of anything would be any worse, which is quite important. But I I don't believe there was any damage caused. These were very small indeed, no more than, you know, a truck going past or something like that. But what we can't do as earth scientists is forecast when the final push, as it were, will push the coin off the table. By the very nature of injecting fluid into the ground, you are causing it to break, and that breakage is a micro-earthquake. But occasionally, you'll, like I say, you'll get more back out than you put in, and that is not forecastable in the absolute sense. We could say that Lancashire is much less likely to give you a a significant return of energy than, say, drilling in California. But we can't say which particular piece of the the injection process might cause that. So Cordrilla is one of the, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it's the biggest company that's been involved in fracking in this country. One of its founders came out in the last couple of weeks and said fracking just wouldn't work in Britain. Is that yes. is that because of the issues you've just you've just outlined that happened in Lancashire, or are there additional reasons? No, I, I, I was delighted you know, to hear that comment. In fact, Quadrilla are the only company that's ever drilled a well for fracturing in the UK. I think the uh, the CEO or whoever it was said that they now recognised that we had the wrong sort of geology and it was too complex. That's very pleasant. A comment to hear, but it, in reality, we've known we've got the wrong kind of geology for uh, uh, decades or, or longer, if you will. Our geology is very complex because we're on the edge of a continental margin. So you can't drill 10,000 wells. The geology will not deliver that. And the other piece, which is really kind of cute in a way, is that shale has a very particular meaning to geologists, but a very loose meaning within the shale gas industry. And the shales we have in the UK are very plastic. They're they're full of clays, whereas the shales in the US, many of them, not all of them, are much more brittle. And so one of us will hit a a piece of clay with a hammer and you'll get a dent in it. And in the US, it's like hitting a piece of glass with a hammer. It will fracture. So we'd really have the wrong kind of shale and we're too complex and too small. Given this, and given the fact that one of the founders said that it wouldn't work, what is so strange to me, and I think to a few, uh, to quite a few other people, is why there is still enthusiasm for the whole project, and not just from Jacob Rees-Mogg, for example, but there's a former Labour MP, Natasha Engel, who still backs fracking. Does that mean that there is still a degree of uncertainty about how well it would work and how much gas you would get out of it? Or can we be pretty sure that this is just not going to work in this country? Well, there'll always be a degree of uncertainty. And I think if you know, if we're to drill, let's just say, 10,000 wells in the UK, then we might get some which are really quite productive. Uh, but overall, um, we know a great deal about the geology and as far as you can be you know, confident in these things, this is not going to work commercially for the UK. You need to drill. I think the US has drilled a million wells or thereabouts. A million? Yes. Gosh, uh, it's just hard to imagine that in Britain, isn't it? The whole idea is generally deeply unpopular in Britain. It's hard to find a member of the public who supports it. And we heard how passionately one of the local radio hosts who Liz Truss spoke to last week 
opposed it. Is it the fear of earthquakes that people are worried about? Or is it all the inevitably ugly infrastructure that would go with drilling so many wells? This is somewhat speculative on my part because I uh, clearly can't forecast what all members of the public would think. The broad response uh, in terms of public opinion is worry about earthquakes. Personally, that would be fairly low on my agenda. The second response from the public tends to be around contamination. There are some very compelling but actually flawed films which have come out of the USA showing methane in people's taps, uh, you know, being able to set fire to them. Now, that is a real thing, but it's nothing to do with shale gas. It's to do with the old 100-year-old wells which happen to be drilled in the same area. But I think your final point is really the most telling. The amount of uh, not just infrastructure but trucking movements which are required to move fluids around uh, for the fracking are just enormous. Uh, And so given the number of wells you might need, I think one of the other uh, CEOs of INEOS, Jim Radcliffe, said, let me drill 3,000 wells. Well, you know, the quantities of material that need to be moved around by large trucks is enormous. And I think that would be, the, for me, the biggest issues in terms of impact on society. And some of the areas with shale deposits are in or around areas of outstanding natural beauty. In the Peak District, for example, in the South Downs. Yes. Given the energy which British homeowners can muster to stop new development, do you think that the government will struggle to push through planning permissions for this. I understand that Jacob Rees-Mogg has asked his civil servants to look at ways to speed up, bypass normal procedures. But it is hard, isn't it, to imagine that people won't oppose this? People will oppose it. I I think there are a couple of things to say here. This is absolutely true, but it's also done with a little bit of tongue-in-cheek. Somerset and indeed the the PM's constituency in North Norfolk should also be on the list of potential fracking sites if you're going to have Lancashire and Yorkshire and the South Downs. So perhaps the the business secretary can lead the way in this. But more seriously, we have a commitment, of course, within the UK to reduce our emissions of greenhouse gases. And this is certainly not the way to do it. Moreover, if we really, really want to produce methane, then the North Sea is still a much better bet than the onshore UK. There is much more gas accessible. The fields which have been abandoned are typically abandoned for commercial reasons and not because there's no gas left. And so the resource, the accessibility, the access to infrastructure, we don't have 100 or 1,000 drilling rigs for onshore UK, but we do have drilling rigs offshore. You know, everything points towards the onshore as being the wrong place to try and solve the uh, energy crisis from a shale gas perspective. There are many simpler ways to address it. Most of the sites that have been identified are in the north. But you mentioned earlier that Liz Truss's constituency in Norfolk should you know, logically also... Is, is, it, is this a, really a political map and we don't necessarily know where the deposits are? No, we, we do know where the deposits are. Um, uh, first of all, 
it, we need to be careful with the word deposit because the calculations which were done by the British Geological Survey a few years ago on the amount of gas which exists in these rocks are done by taking a small sample of rock and baking it in an oven and driving the gas off. And so you get an absolute value of the amount of gas in that sample. If instead you have to drill to three kilometers to try and extract the gas, you will imagine that you get far less out. There's a huge difference between the calculated amount of gas in the ground or the resource and that which might make it to a commercially produced resource, reserve, I should say. And that would be much, much smaller. The reason I've added in North Norfolk is from a historical perspective. You know, about 100 years ago, there was a mini oil boom in Kings Lynn. I know it sounds incredulous today, but what happened there is that following on from the great success of the oil shale uh, industry in Scotland, a would-be entrepreneur found similar shales in the Norfolk area, and he retorted them, which was the way of the world at, at that time, and the, the company grew very, very rapidly to be worth around about $300 million in today's terms and then collapsed more or less overnight. And the reason it collapsed overnight is because the oil that was so extracted from the shales was full of sulfur. Now, they couldn't 100 years ago remove that sulfur, but today we can do so easily. So I would, you know, say be careful what you wish for in terms of shale gas in the UK. We know where the deposits are. But I repeat my earlier statement that the chance of making them work commercially is exceedingly low. And from a societal perspective, you, you hit the nail on the head. The local residents will not want this, and that will at very least slow down planning as it did in Yorkshire uh, and in Lancashire to a, a near full stop. It's hard to imagine the government being able to get this through in the fairly short window yeah. they have before the next election. Agreed. So what is the, for you as an energy expert, what's the energy mix that we should be going for now? Because you mentioned methane in the North Sea, but of course there's the emissions associated with that. Where would you be putting your effort into offshore wind, into onshore wind, into solar? What would you like to see happen? Well, first of all, we need a very well thought through and tested energy policy, something we've not had for 50 years in, in the UK, because we've always been very rich in natural resources, particularly initially coal and then oil and gas. So that's that's the key thing. In terms of the, the component parts of that, we have seen phenomenal success in the offshore wind. Without doubt, we are global leaders in the deployment of offshore wind. Of course, there'll be pe many people say it's not constant. We have big variability within that, as we do indeed with the fast-growing onshore solar. I would say we do need to harvest more wind, uh, both onshore and offshore. Without doubt, the resource in both areas is huge. The one big piece that we've not tried to tap into it to any appreciable extent, though I've been working with Bayes for the past year on this, is geothermal energy. Uh, and geothermal energy is good base load. And that means it operates 24-7, 365 days a year. In the north of England, what we've and this is a delightful example of the circular economy, we're starting to repurpose old flooded coal mines 
and extract heat from the water which now sits within them. And you can use that uh, in district heating. So, for example, at the moment, some 70%, 77% of all our heating in the UK is supplied by burning fossil fuels, mostly gas. We can displace that with low-grade heat uh, very, very easily and essentially have a sustainable, almost zero-carbon heating process. So we need to begin to think differently. But I think the key thing really in many ways for society is that up until now, the energy transition has been somewhere else. We've been able to displace the coal-fired power stations with offshore wind and nobody's noticed. But now when it starts to encroach upon the way in which people heat their homes and cook and light, then they w- there will be changes. So there's some societal changes which need to uh, work alongside this. But I'm a firm believer in the opportunity to deliver net zero as promised by the government between 2040 and 2050. Liz Truss spoke in her conference speech of uh, her disgust that Nicola Sturgeon wouldn't allow new nuclear power stations in Scotland. Do you see nuclear as a part of the solution? Nuclear has to be part of the solution, I think. For a long time, I I grew up in the age of the uh, nuclear disarmament and uh, worried about it for a long time. But in terms of the emissions that you get from nuclear power stations of the conventional sort, in other words, uh, fission, are probably more manageable than that which you get from burning fossil fuels. So I think you do need to consider that. There are new generations of small modular reactors which are beginning to come onto the market, uh, so much more manageable. I think probably the days of uh, building lots and lots of Hinkley Cs are are over, and as we see from the cost, there are issues. Moreover, in terms of energy security, the UK's lost its capability of building nuclear power stations and, of course, has had to turn to both the Chinese and the French. And if we're really serious about home security, then we need to have the, the expertise ourselves. So, John, to sum up, what are the chances of shale gas making any appreciable contribution to Britain's energy needs in the next few years? In the next few years, zero. Approximately. (laughs) Approximately (laughs) zero. (laughs) I I really struggle for all the reasons that we've discussed today. We don't have the number of rigs in the UK. Uh, We don't have the planning in position. We don't have the right kind of geology. And it's a bit like the tourists driving into a new town and uh, pulling over on the curb and asking a a policeman how I get to the town hall. And the policeman says, well, I wouldn't start from here. You know, there are many other ways in which we can crack this nut uh, without resorting to the um, unicorn of uh, shale gas. So there you have it. John, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you. Listeners, it's a tough time for a lot of people right now. The Bunker is a free podcast, but if you can spare a couple of quid each week, you can help us carry on making podcasts and talking to some of the most interesting people in the world. Just search Patreon Bunker Podcast. I'm Ros Taylor. Thanks for listening and see you next time. The Bunker Daily was presented by Ros Taylor. The group editor was Andrew Harrison. The lead producer was Jacob Jarvis. And the producers were Jacob Archbold, Yelna Sofronievich, and me, Alex Reese. The assistant producer was Kasia Tomashevich. 
Our marketing manager is Gina Richard. Theme tune by Kenny Dickinson. The Bunker is a Podmasters production. <laughs>